Hiya, thanks so much for joining me. In this recording, I'm going to be taking a look at the last classification of Rittis. And this in particular is covered in Sutra 1.11 in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. So chapter 1, Sutra 11. Patanjali says, Anubhuta vishaya asampragmoshaha smritihi. Memory is the retention of certain objects that we've sensed and that's been experienced. So the final vritti being discussed is memory, smriti, S-M-R-T-I-H. And if we look at the Sanskrit words for a moment in this one, Anubhuta translates to mean something like experienced. And asam pramoshaha, not slipping away. So it's something that's been experienced, past tense. And then also not left. It's been retained. So memory itself only comes from an experience that we we have. Therefore, memory is always from the past. You can't have memory of the future or memory of the present moment. There also needs to be something an object or moment of experience. And it's often when that experience carries some weight that it becomes registered quite deeply so that you don't actually lose it. It becomes permanently imprinted, for lack of a better word, on the mind. So if you have an experience that is very emotional or that elicits a very emotional reaction from you, then... This memory will likely be very deeply imprinted in your mind. One of the other ways that memory becomes very much imprinted is when you have the same experience again and again. So examples of each. So, for example, that last one when we 
work, walk or drive the same route to work every day. I'm sure you've all had that experience where like you get to work and you're like, I have no idea how I got here. As in, I couldn't give you a rundown of what I saw or what happened exactly on my way to work this morning because the mind is in automatic mode and that smriti, that memory is so deeply ingrained that we call that autopilot, just on autopilot, just running purely from memory. The first one mentioned, I think perhaps one of the examples that most of us can associate with is heartbreak. So if we've ever experienced a truly deep heartbreak, that is something that becomes very deeply imprinted. And we never forget that that heartbreak or that first love. And in some instances, that emotion of heartbreak actually affects our ability to love again because it's, for some people, very traumatic, very significant. Apologies for the noise. Um, Everyone in my neighbourhood insists on manicuring their lawns to within an inch of their life, so there's no point in waiting for it to stop. I'm just going to continue. Point being, memory is permanent. I always find it very interesting. People say, oh, just forget about it be great if we could all just forget about certain happenings or traumas or difficulties or memories that don't necessarily serve us moving forward but it's very clear that it's not slipping away it's retained Even memories that don't seem all that present are still filed in the subconscious mind or deep in the mind. So an example of this would be if you've ever visited a place from when you were a child maybe an old neighbourhood that you grew up in, maybe a house that you grew up in. And while you don't think about it or recall it often, as soon as you revisit it in your adulthood or in your latter years, all of those memories start to come back. Um, my family, I'm first generation Australian, so I am the first member in my family born in Australia, and they came out from Europe, and my mum in particular is from a small island off the coast of Portugal called Madeira, and growing up, 
in a European household, very close-knit. Every weekend we spent together, all of my aunts and cousins and aunties and uncles. And there was always a lot of discussion about where mum was from because they had all grown up there and they had family there. And, you know, they would call back home to the island and talk to aunties and cousins and family over there and all of the stories that I heard growing up, all of them from my mum and my aunties and my nana were from the island. Now I had gone back quite a few times but I was very little. Um, I think I went back maybe three or four times and all times I was under the age of five and then I didn't go back again until I was in my 20s and I didn't think I was going to remember much at all of my experiences from when I was very very young and when when I was sitting around at Nana's house and they would talk about, you know, the house and, you know, all of the happenings, I wouldn't have vivid memories or understandings of what it looked like. But funnily enough, when I went back in my early 20s and I went back to the house and I stayed at the house, I had full recollection of the sounds and the smells and even certain little pathways that I had walked and places that I had sat um, when I had gone when I was really, really, really little. Those memories were still stored in my mind. When we look at memory beyond the brain and the mind, we also have cellular memory. Your DNA holds memory. And your DNA not only holds memory, but it expresses that information whenever it's needed. And not only does it express that information, but that information has been passed down from your ancestry. So we can look at memory as being so much more than just experiences. When your mother's cell and your father's cell came together to create you, that was the passing down of many, many generations of memory. And contained within that, experiences from the past that go way beyond you. The impressions that we carry are transferred onto us by other conscious entities. So memory While it's an experience we've had, 
we can very much carry this from a parent. So an example, one that's often a little easier for us to understand is our relationship to certain universal concepts. For example, our relationship to money or our relationship to time or our relationship to how we view gender and gender roles. Much of this comes from memory, but not necessarily direct experience, often passed down from those who raise us and have significant influence over us. So if you look at your attitude around, let's just take finances for, for example, you know, I was brought up in a house where you had to work really hard for your money. And working hard looked like a lot of time and a lot of energy. And the most important thing, the exception of family, was working hard. So that was something that was very deeply imprinted in my memory, in my mind from my childhood, watching my grandmother, watching other people who were significant to me and definitely has influenced my understanding and perception of where money comes from and work and working for money. There are other people that are brought up in environments where the impression is make your money work for you. There's a strong emphasis on investing money so that money grows more money. There are so many different attitudes around money And when we look at the nature of finances and money, do we think of money as being very hard to come by? Or do we look at money as if there is an infinite amount of it and that there are many ways in order to obtain it? All we need to do is get more of it. Or do we see that there's very little money available to us and very few ways in which we can obtain it? All of these memories, imprints that are placed in the mind will also, remember, dictate our actions and behaviours. 
which will then also influence our reality. So much of how we behave and what we believe comes from our ancestry. And when we look at patterns and memory, so samskaras and memory are very closely related. Um, it's interesting, there's a, another example of memory which is one that actually was a little bit of a surprise to me. I have a good friend of mine who I've known for a number of years now and he grew up in America, spent a lot of years there but now lives in Australia. And I met him only here in Australia, so I've known the Australian version of him, you, I guess you could say. And to talk to, he sounds like an Australian, doesn't talk with an American accent. Um, and is very... I would consider him very typically quite Australian in terms of the way he conducts himself socially. And then a couple of his really good friends from the States came out to visit and there were a whole group of us who all went out and all of a sudden, my friend, who I've known for years, now has an American accent. And it actually took me <laughs> by surprise because I found myself sitting there thinking, who is this person that I've known for all of this time? Are you Australian or are you American? Where's this accent coming from? I didn't even know it existed in you to speak you know, speak with an American accent. So for him, having his American friends around actually triggered this pattern and changed his behaviour in that social setting. Now, moving beyond that, when we look at memory and connecting with memories, that's a fairly neutral experience. I mean, other than me really picking on him the whole night for having an American accent all of a sudden, <laughs> it was a fairly neutral experience. But memories can be positive and extremely helpful, they can also be harmful. So if we spend a lot of time focusing on something that might be 
a memory that really brings up strong emotions, that memory will definitely affect our not just our psychology, not just how we're thinking, but also then our physiology. Because we know that the emotions and thoughts that we have also affect our chemistry in our physical body and the release of cortisol and other hormones that actually affect heart rate, breathing, and all sorts of other things. So if we continue to connect with negative memories, that will also affect our physical body and behavior in the present moment. And in the opposite way, we can have very positive memories and we can use them. In fact, in yoga, we do use them. So we practice dhyanam. We, we actually hold our focus on one object. And through that intense focus, we start to um, embody the qualities of that. So, for example, we might really do, do a meditation on the sun or on fire or on water and the moon. And through that very intense focus of our mind, we start to receive the qualities of that focus. It would be fair to say that what we hold as our memory, we become. If we hold on to negative memories, we become negative. It's absolutely a choice whether we obsess and hold on to these memories. Now, I've established it's, n- it's simply not enough to say, well, forget about it. There is no such thing. But we do need to start to take care, lots of care around the mind and guarding our mind as much as we guard our physical possessions, maybe even more so. So some tools and food for thought around this is... When you're in a state of significant pain, emotionally and mentally, you're reliving a memory or something's come up for you. Maybe you're replaying a conversation that happened earlier on in the day or something that happened yesterday, something that might have been quite emotionally charging. We need to start to learn to identify it And in some instances, maybe even remove ourselves slightly from the emotion. And I'll I'll give you an example of how we might do this. One aspect is 
in yoga, we, we definitely talk about having faith. And when we talk about this concept of faith, and many of you have had one-to-one sessions with me, you know, I've said to you that everything we experience is there to serve our consciousness. Our mind labels everything as good and bad, wanted, unwanted. But if we can start to have a little bit of faith that every experience is there for our consciousness, then even when we're in pain, even when we're struggling with something, we can look at that situation, event, occasion, person, thing, And we can take meaning from that that is beyond just pain. So that instead of asking why me, which is a typical thing we tend to go to, why is this, why me? Why is this happening to me? This always happens to me. You know, why do they treat me like that? We can go, okay, this has happened. This moment has passed. What can I take from this moment? This is happening for me, not to me. This is happening for my conscious development, my consciousness, growth, moving forward. What can I take from this? What can I learn from this? How can I grow from this? It's a very, very um, dedicated practice and connection to teacher that can help us achieve this. Because when we're in emotional pain, sometimes we don't see the forest for the trees. We get very stuck on the emotion. We get very stuck on the heaviness of the situation. And then once we get stuck on that, what tends to happen is the memory is constantly on replay. So we go over it again and again, which starts to really embed that memory. And then this starts to create and reshape your personality. So the memory that you have that you're replaying again and again reshapes and creates your personality. If we can start to understand memory as functioning in this way, we then start to appreciate why we don't encourage the replaying of stories as yoga teachers. It's why in a lot of my one-to-one work with you, we don't go into the he said, she said, it made me feel and all of that stuff. We try to actually shift the focus, shift the over-identification with that moment and create very positive 
understandings based on the philosophy, based on what we know of how the mind operates. We use all of the tools yoga has to offer us, visualization, sound, movement, to actually help these experiences, help these memories move through instead of getting very stuck. We've all met that person who has been through some significant suffering in their life, usually emotional, and has become very closed, very bitter, very stuck. All men are the same. All men are X, Y, and Z. These type of sentences, these type of words, whenever they're used, we need to take very close notice and attention because they usually really show some memory trauma situation that's unfolded for that individual that's permeated way beyond just mind, but potentially also now shaping their personality and attitudes towards others. It's why it said if you really want to remember something and commit something to memory, then attach some personal meaning or emotion to it. We tend to also have this, it's called a confirmation bias. So we tend to only really see information that confirms our belief in something. So back to that person who's had that negative memory that they haven't quite been able to overcome and process in a healthy way will say to you, see, I told you, all men are the same. Memory shouldn't always be trusted. It's not always logical, nor is it always optimal. We know that people will actually believe that an event is more likely to happen if they can, in their mind, conjure up examples of it happening in the past. And the more vivid those memories are, the more likely we are to believe that it will happen. So for example, back Back to my original friend, Bitter Betty. If you've recently experienced heartbreak in a relationship, 
and then you start dating a new person who is completely different from the last person that you dated who might have really hurt you, created some negative memories, negative impressions. But because that was so so strong and so recent, you're more likely than not to actually think that this next scenario is going to end the same way. It's why uh, people tend to worry about really silly things as well, like sharks. I know I have a fear of sharks and things like flying. They're not very common, you know, airplane accidents and, and attacks by sharks. But the reason why we fear them and we stress about them is because the memories that we have of seeing them on documentaries or seeing them on movies, it's so strong an impression. It's so, it's so deep an impression. We have a, a bias towards thinking that it will happen to us. And so the important thing to remember is that what we have as our memory is going to absolutely impact what we see and how we see it in our everyday life. So even though you're having new experiences all of the time, we're constantly viewing them through the lens of our memory. I mean, you think about it. Even when we meet someone new, and this happens to me often, um, when I go into new teaching environments, it happens almost every time. I'll go into a new teaching environment and meet a whole group of new people. And at the end, guaranteed, one person will come up to me and say, I have a niece who looks just like you, or I have, or have you seen that girl on that TV series on Netflix, you you look just like her. And then they start to make all of these connections and examples of your name or how you look or how you talk and how it's similar to this, that and the other person. Interestingly, these memories are also going to impact how we respond to the individual that we're meeting. So, I mean, something that always seems so silly to me, but yet a lot of people have this experience. Maybe you had a really difficult, awful second grade teacher and her name was Therese. Now, every time you meet a Therese, you're going to think back to that second grade awful teacher and a lot of the experiences that you had because it's a memory that's being triggered. And even though logically and rationally you know that this Therese that you're meeting now has absolutely nothing to do with that memory, 
it will still impact your behavior, your feelings, and your physiology in your interaction with this brand new person. In his commentary, Vyasa actually states that there are two types of memory. There's real memory. These are the recollection of things that have actually happened. And then there's imagined memory. So these are like dreams and the random activation of certain samskaras. So I want to end this recording. It's been an epically long one, apologies. Um, By asking you to reflect on some of the key areas I've touched on in relation to memory. So I want you to have a think about how you conduct yourself within relationships, how you view relationships, how you conduct yourself in relation to finances and financial security. These are very big areas and these areas tend to carry a lot of emotion But what I want you to do is actually look at these two areas of your life and maybe see what sort of memories, what sort of beliefs, understandings, teachings that you've either acquired through experience or acquired through it being passed down by parents or significant others. And I want you to get a very good idea of what you're holding on to in relation to these two aspects of your life. What memories and imprints are influencing your experiences? Hopefully you uncover some interesting bits and pieces. The amazing thing with memory is that we can change our point of focus we can change what we choose to place our attention on. It requires a lot of practice and it requires a lot of work, but it can be done. Promise. Thank you so much for listening. You know where to find me. If you have any questions or comments, go to www.yogainmotion.com.au, shoot me through an email or leave me a comment and I will get back to you as soon as I can. All right. Take care. I'll see you on the mat real soon.